Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Career. I'm your host, Jennifer Ong, and in this podcast, I interview people who have taken a leap of faith and pursued an alternative career path in Asia. If you don't know me already, I'm a two-time career switcher and pivoted from BlackRock to fashion startup to now career change coach, where I focus on helping high achievers unhappy with their perfect on paper jobs, find direction in their career, and pivot into a perfect-for-you job. So if this sounds like you and you're looking for some help, send me a message. All right. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Kai Yuan Nio, the founder of Rocket Academy, which is an online coding bootcamp that helps train people to become software engineers. Before he founded Rocket Academy, Kai actually graduated from Stanford University with a degree in computer science and actually had quite a few internships as a software engineer at prestigious big name companies like Alibaba and Facebook. When he graduated from school, he actually chose to join a health tech startup in Silicon Valley called Nuna, as he was very much attracted by their mission to build a product that can really change people's lives. After a couple of years, he felt drawn to return back to his home country, Singapore, and started his very first company, Project We Forgot, which is focused on helping families of people with dementia to access support, knowledge, and caretaking services. He then pivoted into building Rocket Academy to help build the next generation of engineers. So how did this all go down? What was the thinking behind this dramatic pivot? And why did he decide not to go for full-time jobs at these big prestigious tech companies like Facebook? I'll hand over to Kai now to share his story. Welcome, Kai. Super excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. And so I thought I'd start off at the beginning, um, thinking back at the early days of your career. I know when you graduated, you went and st you started your career out at Nuna, which is a yes. healthcare data storage yes. type of company in, in yes. SF. Yes. Um, you know, I would love to hear your thoughts, because Nuna may not be one of those super well-known type of companies. Yes. Um, yes. So when you were graduating, how did you make that decision? Yeah. When we were, when I was uh, going through university and I can talk about each of my internships and I talk about each of my, uh, the, the decision to join that first company after I graduated. So uh, the first internship that I did, which was Alibaba in Beijing, that was super lucky. And I think the first, this is something we see for Rocket Academy, our graduates as well. They, they train to be software engineers and they go on and apply for their first job as a software engineer not necessarily having any experience in the tech industry whatsoever. And the first one is always the hardest because you don't have any track record on your resume to say, I can code or I can work as a software engineer, yet you are applying for a software engineering job. And it's the same thing for university students when they apply for the first internships. And it's the same thing for me when I was applying for my first internship after just doing those introductory computer science classes at Stanford. I was lucky at the time actually that Stanford had a program with a few companies in China. Alibaba was one of them where they were trying to do more cross-cultural exchanges and this internship program was one of them. And I was lucky to be accepted into the Alibaba one. So uh, yeah, I applied and then got a chance to spend a summer in Beijing, which was great, getting to meet the Chinese engineers who were super smart from some of the great universities in China. And so, yeah, and then learned a lot from them. They were actually studying. They are, interestingly, when I went there, they were studying machine learning classes from Stanford. Uh, so 
so they the some engineers there were like watching the videos and and doing the homework as well which is interesting i think at that now china's caught up and it's probably you know where it's the other way around but but uh uh, at the time, that was interesting to to have that sharing and learning from them. And so that was a great summer, but I, I felt like I wanted to work in Silicon Valley after that. And and so I, uh, during that following school year, I applied and was accepted to internship at Facebook. And this was in their California Menlo Park office, which was, which was a great experience. I think both of those summers, both at Alibaba and Facebook, I felt like I was thrown into the deep end because despite taking the computer science classes at Stanford, I still felt like I didn't know the practical engineering techniques that I needed to succeed as a software engineer in these roles. So super lucky to have mentors and friends at these, these places that I went who could were patient and were able to guide me. And after that first internship at Facebook, I actually, I actually had a, so this is, this is, this is, wow, there's a lot to dig up here, but I actually had, um, thoughts that maybe I wanted to go into business. I had joined the business fraternity and because I felt like my goal was to build products and that's why I wanted to study engineering. But I realized that building products was not just the engineering, it was also the business side of things, being able to launch it, go to market, market and sell it. And so I, I had some thoughts between after that internship at Facebook that maybe I wanted to do consult management consulting oh, because wow. I thought I thought that maybe I should learn more about the business side of things so that I can... I generally can code, but maybe I want to balance out my skill set more. But turns out I I didn't get into the maybe I didn't prepare enough for those case interviews, but I didn't get I didn't get the the jobs that I had applied for in management consulting, and and so I, I was thinking about hey what I wanted to do next, and actually the opportunity uh, came up that I got a return offer that summer from Facebook to to go to their New York office which is where my sister was living at the time. And I wanted to, I, I had never lived in New York before. And, and I thought that, okay, I received some advice around that time that, Hey, if you, if you want to work in tech, they recommended staying technical for as long as possible uh, because the, I don't know, I guess the technology is always changing as we can see now with the AI trends and they're, they're saying, Hey, you want to stay technical as long as possible because that will give you uh, leverage in the future. Like if you, ever need to go back to a technical role, you're managing a technical team. And so I decided actually to go back to Facebook, but in a different office, working on a different team, ended up working on their iOS team the second summer in New York, which was an amazing experience. Some of the best engineers I've ever met. I felt more comfortable learning things, although I still felt like I was, it was my third internship. And I still <laughs> felt like I was being thrown into the deep end. Like, I don't know, because I was on a new team, working on new technologies, iOS at the time, you working in Xcode. And I still I felt like- I actually think that that's so interesting because I think so many people would think that like, oh, if I go back to school, I'll be well equipped for the workforce or like this wow. new job that I'm going to go into. And you realize that case. actually, yes, you learn so much of it on the job. And what you learn in school, yes. they give you the basic tools necessary to yes. then learn what you need to learn at the even job itself. after <laughs> four years or even five years for me of computer science education and university at Stanford, no less. I felt like I was being, I just like, I was thrown into the deep end. That, and, and that's so and incredible. So many things. And these are, these are, yeah. these are not academic things that I was trying to learn. It was, it was relatively simple things. Like when you, when you see an error message, how do you work backward to figure out what the problem, what the problem I was still working on my debugging thought process and strategies in that third internship. Right. And so after that internship, 
Um, there are a couple things that happen. And so we were talking about the transition from working at Facebook to working at Nuna. There are a couple things that happen. One, which I need to point out up front, is that I did not get a full-time return offer after the second uh, internship. Mm-hmm. And that is, I, I was very disappointed at the time uh, because I felt like I'd worked really hard for it. And, and, and part of it was personal things that came up during the first and second internship. Uh, but I'm not going to go into delve into those those details. Um, but the, the bottom line is that I didn't get a return offer. And my manager was supportive. He said that he had actually recommended me, but the overall team had 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 not uh, decided to follow through. And, uh, you know, in a way, in, a, in, in several ways, I think it was a blessing in disguise. Uh, one is because I actually had not intended to return, go back to Facebook after I graduated, even if I did get a return offer. I had been thinking I wanted to join a smaller company to get a sense of how the business works more broadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted because I knew that I wanted to build products of my own and I, and I knew that required a well-rounded skill set. So I wanted to join a startup to get more exposure to that. And during that year after the internship, as I was looking around at the different opportunities, I, a, a few of my, I, I, I'd been at Stanford for five years because <laughs> I stayed around to do an internship, uh, sorry, to do a master's program. And several of my friends had left Stanford after the undergraduate program after four years. And several of them had joined this company called Nuna. These are my friends in computer science who I respected a lot, who were better at coding than me and, and were always like more advanced. Than, and so one of them was my close friend. And he, he mentioned that they were hiring at their company called Nuna for entry-level engineers. And at the time, I, I must set this context. At the time, there, there was this... I think quite prevalent mentality among the computer science graduates at Stanford that I think is, and, and we must also keep in mind that that time, 2014, 2015 was, was a very boomy period in Silicon Valley. So the companies were all growing. There's a lot of investment coming in. Snapchat had just gone from zero to hero from 2013 and they were just like taking off. Mm-hmm. And at the time there was this mentality that the big companies will always be there. And so if you want to apply for a job at these big companies, and, and keep in mind that these big companies, the FANG companies, they employ way more people in the US than they do in, in places like Singapore and even Asia, and especially on the engineering side. And so there wasn't a sense of, a, there was actually a sense of abundance mindset. Not, like in, in, in Singapore, it's like, oh, okay, if you get into uh, the FANG company, it's like, wow, super special because they're only hiring very, very few roles here. But over there, at, especially at the time, there was a sense that, wow, Everybody is working at these fan companies. They're so, so huge and they're hiring so many people. And so at the time as graduates, we were feeling like, okay, you can always go to these big companies because mm-hmm. they will always be there. Mm-hmm. Since we're young and we want to make a change, why don't we try our hand at joining startups that have the potential to get huge? And then you can also, there's this, there's this also potential, if the startup works out really well, then you, you have all these glamorous stories of the early employees uh, getting getting good exits and outcomes and, and all that stuff. And that's actually what happened with our friends who joined Snapchat, with some of our friends who joined the early years of Snapchat. Yeah. It's interesting because among some of my friends when we were graduating, we, were, we had this joke among us. We would say, do you want to make a difference in the world or do you want to work at Snapchat? <laughs> because, you know, as we know, Snapchat makes these disappearing photos and they're super popular. Of course, they're worth billions of dollars now. Obviously, they're making a huge difference in the world. But at the time, we had this thinking that like, oh, it's just another social media app. Like, do you, don't you want to do something more like 
meaningful. And, and at the time I was thinking of areas like healthcare and education and, and food and housing. And, and so when this opportunity came up to join Nuna with these friends that I really respected and I really loved working with, with a team that was really experienced, most of the, there were about 20 engineers when I joined and most of them had come from the big tech companies and had a wealth of experience. I felt like the interview process really showed me how much I could learn from working there. I, I, I was, um, I was smitten and I was like, oh, I need to go work here. And so, uh, yeah, the team was great. Learned a lot from them. I That's worked there fascinating. For- yeah. And I think your decision there was a lot of where can I learn the most in the shortest amount of time? Yes. And where can I join uh, a company where I really respect the people? It came down there? to three things for me. You know, three things for me. One was, do I align with the mission? Because I was one of those people making that joke, right? Do you want to make a difference in the world or do you want to work? And so the mission and the mission really aligned with me because they were trying to make healthcare more affordable and higher quality in the US. Huge mission. Um, you know, they're still chipping away at it, but that really aligned with my personal motivations. Second was, do I, do I feel like I can learn a lot from the team? And at that time, as a, as a fresh grad who, you know, I had, I changed my mind again. I thought I wanted to do business when I was in my final year, but then I changed my mind, decided I want to stick with coding. And uh, I felt like I could learn a ton from this team. And I indeed did learn a ton from this team. I'm super grateful. I felt like that, all the internships plus Nuna combined was really my foundational education in software engineering, which, which, I, which I hope to share more at Rocket Academy with our students nowadays. So can I learn from the team? And the third thing is, do I enjoy the team and, and get along with them and enjoy coming to work every day? And that was certainly the case with my friends who were working there, as well as the interviewers that interviewed me, who I thought were fantastic and super kind. I had a great experience there. Very interesting. Wow. Um, and I think that that's very different from other 20-some-year-olds looking at their first job, where mm. a lot of them tend to look into you know prestige or um, stability or pay. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really interesting. How Actually, you I, I do want to address some of those concerns uh, or some of those thoughts because because those thoughts did, yeah, I, I think I think it's only because those thoughts were checked in the back of my mind that I could think about those three things I mentioned earlier, right? The mm. mission, the team, and the social aspect of it. Um, the mission, the learning, and the team, essentially. Uh, prestige, I think at the time, there was some friend, there was a friend at Stanford that was compiling, his name is Chris, he was compiling a list of um because we were saying earlier fan companies we felt like they were always hiring and so there was this friend at stanford who was compiling a list of the breakout startup companies that were showing promise and growing quickly and and um so a lot of people wanted to join these startup companies because they were growing yet they were also stable enough that it didn't seem like they, they were gonna disappear tomorrow and in terms of compensation, all of these startups were well-funded because there's the boom period in Silicon Valley. So they had a lot of money and were able to pay relatively market rates. Yeah, it, it, yeah. And so the, the pay was not an issue. Uh, the prestige was also not an issue because there were many of these companies that were fast growing and stability was also not an issue. Yeah. Amazing. So was that kind of like the dream job going into it? If anything, if anything, at the time, many of these startup companies, whether it was Uber or Airbnb or the earlier ones, right? Pinterest, Uber, and I guess those were slightly later stage at the time already. Um, if anything, these fast growing startups had more prestige than the big tech companies at the time because of the sense that, okay, the big tech companies are always hiring and, and a lot of people are going always to go back company. to it down the road. Makes sense. So it sounds like a dream job going it, into yeah, this. Yeah, it's a dream job, 
I've done so much there and I'm so grateful. Amazing. And so what made you decide to move on from it? Yeah. Uh, I love, I love this conversation. It's like thinking of all the life choices that I've made in the last decade. Um, Semi-therapy. So, yeah. After, <laughs> after about a year working at Nuna, I felt an itch and the itch came from the fact, partially from the fact that I learned so I, I felt like the team had supported me so well at Nuna and I had learned so much that I was thinking, okay, what's, what's next for me? And it, it was more of a personal, um, personal thing, decision than anything. It was, um, when I, when I had finished national service in Singapore and I had gone to university at Stanford, the first week at Stanford, we had this reflection with our freshman friends. And we, we went out to this central, central part of campus and we did this exercise called hopes and dreams. And everyone went around the circle sharing their hopes and dreams for their time at Stanford. And my, and everyone had great things to share. I really loved that activity. And the thing that I shared at the time, and I, I only realized this when I was doing the exercise, was that I hoped that I didn't lose touch with Singapore. Because I felt like I'd been a Singapore citizen and, and my whole life, my family, whole family, extended family is Singaporean. But I had never lived in Singapore other than national service. And, and doing national service gave me a taste of it, but I still felt like, wow, there's so much about Singapore that I feel like I need to know for my own personal identity reasons. And so I had set a I had set an internal expectation for myself that within two to four years after graduating, I knew I wanted to work in Silicon Valley, but I set an expectation that within two to four years, I might want to move back to Singapore and get to know Singapore better. And after about a year after graduating, working at you know, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, the time is coming because I felt like I, I felt more independent as a software engineer at the time than I had ever felt in my internships and even coming out of university. And I felt like, okay, now might actually be the time where I consider going back to Singapore because I know I can code. I know I can be a software engineer. And now I want to see what I can contribute in Singapore. So I, I stayed on for another year or so at Nuna and, but was preparing my, preparing my move back. And, and when I moved back to Singapore and, and yeah, that's the next, that's the next step. Yeah. So tell us more. So when you were, you know, planning your move back, did you have a job lined up already? Yeah. Um, or were you already thinking like, I'm going to start my own company? Yeah. I, I was thinking I wanted to start my own company. So when I was, when I was in the, the final year in Silicon Valley, there was in Singapore, there's this, um, there's a startup, a startup, what do you call it? I would say startup ecosystem partner called Block 71. They're based at Ayaraja. They also run, um, they also co-run a few incubators, excellent, but they provide office space and, and startup support in Singapore, Jakarta, and San Francisco at the time, at the time. And I think they may be even in Vietnam now, if I'm not wrong. But at the time they had this nice office in San Francisco, very close to where I lived and worked. And it was open to Singaporeans who are working on startups to go and work there. I just like work out of that space, which was amazing opportunity. And so after work and on weekends, I would pop by that office and just be brainstorming startup ideas and be thinking about, hey, what I wanted to do when I came back to Singapore. At the time, this was 2017, there weren't, there, I, I, I didn't find companies in Singapore that I was particularly excited about working at as a software engineer at the time. And I thought that, okay, 
several of my friends have started companies in Silicon Valley. I'm moving back to Singapore. I felt like Singapore and Southeast Asia were growing in terms of their digital economies. And I felt like there, was, there must be opportunity for me to apply my software experience to, to build software products that are helpful for the community in Singapore or Southeast Asia. And I had a hypothesis at the time to build something in healthcare. The initial idea was to build something like Google Docs for, for healthcare and mm. for, for our um, families to manage the care for our for older adults with chronic conditions. Mm. And, and um, so I moved back to Singapore on that premise. And then there's this long startup journey that I don't have to go into all the details right now, but long story short, that initial healthcare idea didn't work out. We, we pivoted a few times, ended up, uh, it's called Project We Forgot. Uh, and, and, and for the most of that time, I, we, I was working with a friend called Melissa on this company called Project We Forgot that was building communities for people, for families with loved ones with dementia. Mm -hmm. And so we were help, we were trying to help them uh, and, and uh, trying to help them find resources and connect with each other for support. Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, it turned out that wasn't a great business, which is why I ended up um, uh, moving on from it. But yeah, I learned so much about dementia during that time and the caregivers and have so much respect for them as they go through that process. And what did you learn in the process about why it didn't work? Yeah, I think ultimately we were not solving the biggest need that caregivers had. And the biggest need that caregivers of people with dementia have, to my understanding, is actually physical support, physical care, physical respite care and support. So essentially someone like either whether it's a helper or someone who's an ad hoc nurse who can come in and physically take care of the person who cannot take care of themselves. Uh, anymore so that the caregiver can have respite so that they can do things with their friend not feel like they need to be mm -hmm. taking care of someone else full-time 24 7 and we were not providing that there were other companies other companies that still provide that and yeah they, they didn't need a digital service they didn't need more information per se mm -hmm. although that that didn't hurt but but it's not something that was so urgent that they needed to pay for it right they, they didn't even need even something even more helpful, like communities of other caregivers, it is helpful, but it's still not the most urgent need. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a, it's as as the anecdote goes, it's more like a vitamin rather than the painkiller. Yeah. So that's what we realized. Then we were, you know, we had ideas to potentially pivot into being a marketplace for these services. But I also felt like we weren't the particular ex. Neither of us were doctors. We weren't the particular experts mm -hmm. in that space. And so I decided, hey, maybe it's time to move on. Mm, okay yeah, so that was about a year that's about a year after working on that uh, lots of Actually, lessons learned I'd love to understand because sometimes also knowing when to move on is a skill yeah. in and of itself how did you know at what point did you realize okay now it's just yeah. time for me to let this go yeah I think I had been so positive about the idea since the start because I, I, you know, I, how, going back to that joke that we used to make in university, right? Do you want to make a difference in the world? Or do you want to work at Snapchat? And, and I, I, I had felt like we were really digging deep into real um, problems that we had, uh, that, that our community had, right? Like taking care of someone with dementia is no is no small feat or no, it's, it's actually really challenging 
um, because at the same time you love them because they, they 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 raised you, uh, but at the same time their needs are so great that you really need support to take care of them, and and um, so I had been super motivated throughout the whole time, and we were looking at ways in which we can monetize. Initially, we thought that okay, we'd build a large community and monetize based on ads, but we never end up building a community that was large enough, probably because we were not solving the most pressing need that that um, these caregivers had. And I think about a year into it, it was, it was partially a time factor. It's partially like, okay, we've been working on this for a year. Uh, where are the res results? And we didn't have a huge community and we didn't have that many users. We we're not making revenue at the time. And and we had these ideas to pivot, but then there, yeah, my, you know, then then when the business is not going well, then the co-founder, there's more, it exposes more tensions within the founding team. And so given those tensions, given the state of the business and a, and, a, and a more sober reflection on what business we actually had, then that was when I decided, okay, I think it's time to, to move on and reset. Got it. Got it. Okay. Wow. I'm sure that was not have been an easy decision though. Cause I think, um, you know, you came in with such grand ideas <clears throat> yeah. and a problem that you felt very passionate about. So um, never easy to to decide when to move on. Um, yeah. So after that, um, were you thinking, I'm going to go back to a job or were you thinking, oh, I'm just going to take a break and yes, maybe I'll after that, explore I, I different I knew I wanted to. I knew I wanted to go back to a job. I, I knew I still wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I had, I, 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 I didn't have ideas and I didn't want to jump, just jump into some random idea and end up in the same situation. And at the time, uh, the opportunity came up to work in Indonesia, which uh, you know a friend had uh, was was starting a startup there and building a startup there. And I I, I had always living in Singapore and, and working in the startup scene. People were always talking about Indonesia as this huge market next to Singapore, and this was 2018. And and so I just jumped on it. I I, I thought that hey, this is a great opportunity to learn about Indonesia, to work with my friend who's building a similar to Nuna, right? Working with friends, building startups. I, I, I got really excited at that and I wanted to work with these friends. And, and yeah, so that ended up being an amazing experience. Um, I wanted to learn about Indonesia. It checked three boxes for me. One is learn about Indonesia and, 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 and the language and culture and the market. Two is work with friends. And three is work at an early stage company because I knew I still wanted to, to do startups. And I, I wanted to get, you know, Nuno was a series A stage company by the time I joined. And this company in Indonesia was a seed stage company, so earlier stage. And I wanted to learn from other friends and founders that I respect about, hey, how to manage a company at that stage. So those three boxes were checked. It was a fantastic, phenomenal experience living in Jakarta and getting to feel all that energy. It's 2018, 2019, right before COVID. There was a lot of venture capital flowing in. So 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 uh, companies were growing and people were excited and, and there's a lot to learn about the, you know, the place. Yeah. So at the back of your mind at that time, you were still thinking down the road, I'm still going to build a business. So let me go learn how to build a business by working at a seed stage. Startup. Yes. And I didn't, and I didn't know how long I wanted to stay. Uh, I, I thought that, Hey, you know, if, if, if this company is, is growing well, I would love to stay. Uh, and after about a year into it, I felt like, okay, if I am, yeah, after about a year into it, I felt like, okay, 
you know, the, the, we, the fit company was facing some headwinds at the time in terms of growth. Of course, they've overcome them now and they're, they're now continuing to grow. But I felt like the engineering was relatively stable and I, I wasn't able to contribute as much on the business side at the time. So I felt like, okay, maybe it's time for me to come out and explore ideas of my own again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was after about a year working at Danachita. It was a great experience. And so I spent a few months after that actually talking to founders, talking to investors, still in Indonesia. My intention was to build a new business in Indonesia. Uh, so I had stayed there. I had continued taking Bahasa classes. I had gone and met other people in the ecosystem, which actually was a great investment because many of those friends and investors ended up investing in Rocket Academy when we started that, even though it was in Singapore. Uh, but yeah, that was the, that was another discovery phase. And and yeah, after after roughly six months of ideation and brainstorming, and and I I stumbled upon the idea for Rocket Academy. Mm-hmm. It it I, my intention at the time when I started when I left Danchita was not to go into education. I had not thought that. Oh. You know, I, I had actually been looking at areas like logistics and and um, e-commerce because those were booming in 2019 in Indonesia, and and there were a lot, there was a lot of capital flowing into those areas. But I felt like I always felt like I needed a co-founder who really understood those markets and even Indonesia better than me to be the CEO and I would be the tech person. But but I never found that right combination, uh, that co-founder. Mm. And, and there were there with the co-founder, so many ways in which it, 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 there's so many boxes to check that it's really difficult to find the right person. And when I stumbled upon the idea for Rocket Academy, a lot of things clicked for me. Mm. It, it was a TechCrunch article about a, a online coding bootcamp called Lambda School in the U.S. that had just raised almost $100 million in venture wow. capital. And I was thinking, wow, nobody's doing this in Southeast Asia at the time. And at my background as a software engineer, tech guy who, who enjoys teaching, I felt like it was a really good fit. And I felt like the market had a demand for this because companies found it really hard to find enough good software engineers to hire to build their tech products. And... Feel like existing schools, whether universities or boot camps, were not producing sufficient numbers of people of the right quality to to fill this demand, and so hence I got started on Rocket, and I, and, and it's been the journey since then. Wow, that's incredible! I'm interrupting my very own episode to let you guys know about my career coaching program that's designed to help you go from lost and frustrated with your corporate job to living and crushing it in your dream career. So if you're feeling unfulfilled, despite having that perfect, prestigious, high-paying job, or if you're someone who's great at chasing and acing other people's dreams but have no idea what your own dreams and goals are, well, today you're in luck. I'm sharing my three-step framework to help you find your passion and get career clarity. If that sounds like something you would want, check out today's show notes to download the free guide now. All right, back to the episode. Um, And I guess, how did you get started with rocket like you had this idea that you're going to build this boot camp how did you take it from like an idea into like the first customer were you like yeah yeah." and 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 at that point in time i know you were based in indonesia so were you thinking oh maybe i'll build it in indonesia or were you already thinking oh maybe singapore is the right market time Mm -hmm. for me to go back to singapore yeah i very quickly decided that singapore is the right market one because my my um yeah, my fiance at the time I was also moving back to Singapore. She's Singaporean, but was li- working in Bangkok. I was moving back to Singapore. So one that was one reason, the family reason. 
And the second reason was that I felt like Singapore would be an easier place for me to get started with something like Rocket Academy because I would be able to teach more flu fully in English. The um, and 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 generally the ability to pay Singapore is higher, so with fewer students, I would still be able to uh, generate more revenue in in that sense. And so I ended up, yeah, I ended up getting started in Singapore and 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 have stayed in Singapore actually since then. So most of ninety five percent of Rocket Academy students right now are Singaporean in Singapore. And, and um, yeah, we're currently looking at expanding to Hong Kong as well. So I haven't, haven't gone out to Indonesia yet for Rocket Academy. Hopefully in the future, that's something we'll do. Uh, yeah, and, and, and to your earlier question about getting our first customer. Yeah. So I knew that I wanted to do in Singapore. We moved back to Singapore. And that was one of, that was actually the, that's a great question because the first question, the first wall that I faced when I, when I started, I was like, oh, okay, how do we, now that we have this idea, we've done the desktop research about the market and we know we want to do it. How do we get our first customer? And so put up a website, use Squarespace, set up a website. Uh, at the time, I was super green on entrepreneurship. I mean, I, I, I guess there's still so many things to learn, but I didn't know much about advertising. And in fact, I didn't even think about advertising at the time. I just reached out to personal networks, to the friends that I had made in Singapore through the last few years working in startups. And I asked people, hey, do you know anyone who's um, who wants to learn coding and is interested in this? And just through, a, you know, I guess, I guess you call it aggressive outreach at the time, three students signed up. Wow, and, amazing. And, and those became our initial students. And I'm so grateful to them because they took a chance on us when we were still, you know, still starting. And, and was and it just of, you teaching everything and it was, doing it everything? Was, it was me. You know, I think I think I was lucky also at the time that there were several Singaporeans that had heard about us, whether through LinkedIn or friends of friends, and they were and then they wanted to support. And so they were some people were helping out as teaching assistants. Mm -hmm. Uh when, you know, they were from the universities or they had recently graduated and they're helping us build curriculum. And so we had initially we had three students, uh, and they were helping, and then when their second batch we had recruited roughly 10 to 15 students. And so they were helping, uh, yeah, they were helping doing some of the teaching as well. But I was still the primary full-time teacher and, and manager of all the students at the time. That's incredible. So that's how we got started. And did you know like what to teach? Like, yeah, did it take so you some time I, I to really, figure out the curriculum or? Yeah. Um, interestingly, it wasn't that hard to figure out what to teach uh, because, one, I had examples of similar, you know, I knew we wanted to be a coding bootcamp like the school that I had that inspired me. And so I went online and there are, there are all these curriculums for all these similar short bootcamp like schools online. So there's that as reference. And I and I and I and I referenced all those materials, but also took from my own personal experiences what I knew was, you know, all of my, when I said I was thrown into the deep end and my internships and in my first job, right? there's so many things I didn't know that I felt like I should know, should have known. And those were all the things that I included in the curriculum, whether it's about version control or about debugging techniques or about testing or about how to structure your code, how to, yeah, all of these practical techniques that I felt like were not taught in university, I, I, I wanted to include in, in this. Interesting. And at that point in time, was General Assembly pretty big in in, yeah. in the region? <clears throat> so I, I, I and I want to ask you that as well, because, um, you know, General Assembly was quite prevalent for a period of time. I remember back then, and they were also offering a lot of these like either coding classes or like 
PM, like product manager type of classes or UI UX type of classes. Yes. And was that around the same time as when you got started with with Rocket when when they were around? Yes. Um, and and so did you were you worried at that point in time? Were you like, hey, I'm coming up against like a big beast um who has yeah. presence globally? Yeah. I think General Assembly has been doing a great job and they've they've you know they've been a brand for the last 10, almost 15 years now, I guess 12 years since they started in the US. And they came, I think they came to Singapore when they were in 2015 or 20 or 2016 and have been, uh, I think the Singapore government wanted them to help upskill talent in Singapore. And honestly, at the time when we started Rocket Academy, when I started Rocket Academy, uh, I wasn't thinking about General Assembly too much. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll tell you why, uh, when we first started, because this model that we were modeling ourselves after in the US had a slightly different model in the sense that it was pay after you get a job and uh, um, and uh, it was a longer course, it was online. And so, so pay after you get a job, more comprehensive and it was online. And so there were some, yeah, there were some differentiator, differentiating factors with General Assembly that made it not, necessarily a well i'm sure our students thought about it um but i think at the time i was just so focused on getting the initial students and making making sure we serve them well that i wasn't thinking too much about the the, the competition i think eventually it became clearer that oh actually the value prop is is similar in the sense that okay you come to whether it's general assembly or rocket academy or other schools the value prop is still you you know, you do this course and you get a job as a software engineer afterward. And I, I was fully convinced at the time, and I still am, that we can offer a better experience and a more comprehensive experience and a more valuable experience for our students. At the time, you know, the value problem was you, you, there was incentive alignment, right? You pay after you get a job. We don't do that anymore because it's difficult to collect money after people graduate. Uh, but at the time, um, we also offered a job guarantee. So far, everybody who's graduated, who's been applying for at least six months has gotten a job. We're very happy about that. We don't offer the guarantee anymore because of operational reasons, but the, the, the placement rate is still there. And I fully believe that our curriculum was more comprehensive and would be able to train graduates that, that were higher caliber and, and able to perform well in the, in the workforce compared to the other boot camps, now, which is why I, I thought that which is why I even decided to start Rocket Academy in the first place, because I thought that we could do a better job in terms of the training as well as the community aspect of building this, this um, school and, and, and brand. Yeah. Amazing. So let's dive a little bit into kind of like marketing and growth, because I think yes. um, getting customers is always the hard part. Yes. <laughs> um, so for you guys, uh, it started off with word of mouth and, you know, yes. you tapping into your own network and just seeing if there was anyone interested what was the next stage of growth after that? What were some things that really worked well for you guys? Yeah. So the free course really worked well. That was in mm -hmm. mid-2021, where we started offering the free introductory course for people who want to learn coding. You get a free mm -hmm. course where you're guided by an instructor and, and it's six weeks long, right? So it's good value. Mm -hmm. And I think we, were, we got a lot of positive feedback from that course. And we kept running that course actually until that, the course in that format until roughly... 
mid 2022 actually so we ran it in that format for for a year uh so that that was good that that really helped increase the the awareness and the, the buzz around rocket academy uh, other other growth tactics that have worked i i think pr was really helpful uh, so again it comes back to word of mouth i think for especially for schools you know, even coding boot camps are still schools at the end of the day just like high schools and universities are schools and a lot of the a lot of the the reason why people choose schools whether it's a high school or a university or a school or a boot camp is about the strength of the brand the strength of the alumni network the strength of Right. How good is this going to look on my resume if I if I put this school on my... Of course, the teaching has to be good. That's the bottom line. That's the baseline. Uh, but beyond the teaching, it's really about the brand. And so the word of mouth is super important because if people are saying that, hey, this is a great school, then other people will be more inclined to join. And so it took us some time to build that up. The free course was one way to grow that. And we're still offering a free introductory coding course for that reason. So people can try it out and and, and, and have a good experience. The the second thing was, yeah, I think it was PR around our fundraise. So a lot more people heard about us and they're willing to try us out. I think recent, more recently, the government subsidy, the 70 to 90% government subsidy has helped a lot. Mm -hmm. So people are, you know, especially Singaporeans are looking on the government websites, looking for what courses are subsidized by this and make their choice based on that. So that has really helped us in terms of getting the word out. And last but not least, I think the community is huge. Is huge, mm. and and by community, I don't just mean the student community. I also mean the alumni community, the community of employers that are now part of Rocket Academy's broader community, and all these advocates. You know, we 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 want to keep engaging them, want to keep offering value to them, and all these advocates are the ones that help spread Rocket Academy's brand and and mm. and reputation. So, so yeah, those are the. And of course, we still do some advertising so long as the, it's cost effective. Mm. Um, but the primary levers are the ones that I mentioned earlier. Mm. But in those early days, I think that's where a lot of people struggle with um, is how do you get people to even know about this free course in the early days? Yeah, LinkedIn was mm. one of the main channels that this got started in. Mm. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, 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 it was almost like magic. It was like I posted on LinkedIn and suddenly people started coming um but that's not, that wasn't all of it i think we we also were experimenting oh uh, at the time yeah we were also running some ads at the time but but i think mm. yeah majority of it came in through word of mouth interesting and i think it's so cool because it's not just in terms of bringing in um people via a free channel but also the brand around it and spending yeah. time really building up your brand to be something that's quite prestigious something that's quite known um, yes. which usually does take a little bit of time and I think a lot of people tend to discount the brand building side but yeah. I think that that's the thing that can really carry carry you you guys forward as well yeah and I'm so grateful for my team and we have a great team uh, who's working on growth now and and um yeah, we you know we're we're working on not just the short term projects with advertising and the community stuff, but also the longer term projects with SEO and mm -hmm. and building up our brand muscle, not just in Singapore but overseas as well. So so I was browsing your website before this, and I saw that the for the boot camp, um, you guys charge eight k for it, right? Yes. yes. Um, and was that something you guys started out at? Because that 
So, that sounds like a lot of money yes. um, for, it is not a small for an average, investment. yeah, for an average Singaporean. So I want I wanted to ask you, how did you convince people um, mm. to 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 part ways with their yeah. with their well the money? average the average salaries of the students graduating from bootcamp is around five k mm. after they after they graduate, mm. and it's only been going up in recent years. Of course, now there's the recession, but but uh, you know, until now it's still been around that around that range mm. and so if you think about it you're doing this course and you're it's getting like into months. a job it, yeah within two months you'll, you'll be able to to make it back and uh the career growth opportunity is essentially limitless because software engineering and and tech companies are going to continue to grow i know now there's a short-term recession but in the in the coming years it's only going to continue to grow and and the opportunities for someone who is in this space are are only going to continue to grow. So you're, I think it's a no brainer to to invest in this and to go for this longer term thing, especially given the track record of Rocket Academy's graduates. All of them who've applied have succeeded in in getting these jobs. And I know when we were talking at the beginning, um, before we started recording the podcast, you were talking yeah. about funnels. Yes. Um, so was that? Um, part of the process where you were like, okay, people are maybe hesitating to pay 8K upfront because they don't know us that well yet. So let's maybe build up a funnel to lead them to that. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. So, you know, people don't just show up one day and they're like, oh, here's 8K. You know, yeah. It's the first day they've heard about you. I think it's a long, <laughs> especially when you're, when you're um, thinking about joining a, a course that is not just, not just a, uh, know a decent amount of money which is 8k but it's also either four months or eight months of your time that you are investing into changing your career and um so that's where the introductory courses are super important at rocket academy so we have a free introductory coding course for people who haven't done coding before to even just see if they enjoy it before they they, they even decide to do something like a boot camp and for those who are more serious about it we have a paid version of the introductory course which is guided by an instructor and in a small group, so you get personalized attention. And oh, the free uh, one has no uh, is like the free one is self serve. Yeah, the free mm. one is self guided. And then the the there's a paid version of the introductory course which is guided, and we charge that essentially at cost to cover our costs and and for people to get a more high quality or more hands on experience with the introductory course. And and um, yeah, so these are these are our funnels for having people essentially it's almost like a free trial or it's almost like a low cost trial to, to see if coding and rocket Academy is right for you before they, before they um, decide to join the bootcamp. Yeah. Amazing. And I know you also mentioned you guys are expanding into other locations. Yes. We're expanding in Hong Kong. We're also doing some exploration in Malaysia right now. And mm. so if, and what yeah. made you guys decide to expand um, outside of Singapore? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think many of us will know that Singapore is a is a limited market. We're a small city state, and so expanding out of Singapore was inevitable for a company that wants to grow. And uh, for Rocket Academy specifically, we you know, we want to be both global and local. We teach online, but the local community is still super important. People want to feel like they're part of a community of alumni that is going to help them throughout their careers. And so many of the software and tech opportunities are still you know, they're still local. And so 
we we want to be deliberate about our expansion. We want to go city to city at a time and build up a base of community that people can feel a part of in every city that we go to. And the first city that we've chosen to go with is Hong Kong. Um, one, because I grew up in Hong Kong and I have some familiarity with the market, but also because we believe that the tech market there, while nascent, is, is hungry for talent and we believe we can, we can make an impact there. Definitely. So moving on to the last part um, of the interview, which is a little bit more personal. Um, So uh, one question I do ask all of my guests um, is, you know, in the Western world, they always say, follow your dreams, follow your passion, and eventually the money will come. Mm -hmm. But in Asia, I think the mindset is very much like, let's do something practical. Let's pick a career path that is very lucrative. um, And you can spend, you know, time on the side doing the things that you love. Yes. So since you've, you know, spent time in both, you know, a, a more westernized um, environment in the U.S. and also in in Asia, where is your head at around this? Yeah, I would say both both points of view have have merit, right? Both the point of view that follow your passion and you do well, and then both the point of view that, and the other point of view which is that do something practical. I I, I honestly I'm leaning more toward the western one. Yeah, mm. uh, and, and it's 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 difficult for me to it's difficult for me to say this because I I'm I'm the one who did the practical thing right like I studied computer science and I I have this safety net of working as a software engineer, um but at the same time, after working and, and seeing people who are in the work many you know friends who are in the workforce who maybe not as happy with their current jobs or their current work, it's hard to be. Mm. yeah i mean we, we all need to find uh, of course we need uh, the bottom line is we need to feed ourselves and feed our families and, and pay the bills um so there's that um but i think that no matter what people are doing if they are good at it they can make a living doing it and one really great way to be good at something is to be passionate about it if you're passionate about it and you're curious about it, you will keep learning and keep growing in that area and you will not stop. Uh, and I'll give you an example. I have, a, I have a friend in Hong Kong. He's a close friend. We used to play music together and he studied computer science and music in university. And when he graduated, he decided to go into music in Hong Kong. He decided to go be a music producer. Oh. And it's very uncommon and it's yeah. very difficult because it's not a very traditional there's not a very clear career path for that yet and he spent a lot and he spent a lot of years and he's perfected his craft and he's now over time he's built his reputation working with some of the best musicians and, and artists in hong kong and, and china and to produce music that and he's won awards for like the best songs and the best production and 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 and, and, and there, there are so many more examples of that whether it's musicians or athletes or artists or people who are doing entrepreneurship or people who are building communities and it's inspiring it's inspiring because they love it and they've just shown how much dedication they have to that particular thing and they've made a they've made a living and business around it and it's difficult so i'd say the reason why i say both points of view have merit is because it's not one or the other is not for everyone Right. I think in order to follow your passion and make a living out of it, you have to really be dedicated and really, really, really love that thing. And some, you know, like when you care about, it, you just know. Like for me, I know I want to build business, and now I want to do education, entrepreneurship, and 
it's just like, I'm going to follow through with this. Uh, but for others who I think might waver or are not sure, I think it's probably easier and safer to stick to the traditional paths of jobs or, or, or locations where you know there's going to be a stable job. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. I love that. I love that answer. And I think it's also your tolerance for pain um, and uncertainty. How long can you go through those years of uncertainty before you get to that outcome? Yeah. And for I a lot of people also, hard. for a lot of people also, there's also the financial, the, for everyone, there's the financial consideration, exactly. right? And so it is truly a privilege to be able to follow your passion and, and do that without having to worry about supporting your family per se, Exactly. Or, or or those kinds of things. So I also recognize that it is a privilege to be able to do that. Exactly. Cool. And any parting words as we wrap up today's episode? Any advice that you want to share with people who are thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, thinking about quitting their job to start their own company? Yeah. Anything that you wish you knew earlier on? Yeah, well, I I I guess one of my parting words is I I hope that um we always say that the best learning happens on the job. And I think that's absolutely true with entrepreneurship. Every single entrepreneur I've talked to has said that, that they do it. And uh, so I hope you, I hope, I hope some of these sharings can help you shortcut some of that time that I spent learning about the initial lessons about the business and building entrepreneurship, about hiring, about, about raising money and, and if I can be helpful in shortcutting more of those things for you, I'm happy to chat about them. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, so lovely to have you here with us, Kai. Thanks, Thanks so much, Thanks for sharing Jen. so openly about your journey and your career and, and, um, and with Building Rocket. And wish you guys all the best. Thank you so much. And there you have it, my conversation with Kai. Here's a couple key takeaways that I got from this conversation. One, when looking at a first job after graduation, think about your personal mission, what you want to learn, and the team dynamics. For example, whether or not you would enjoy working with the team. These were the aspects that Kai was looking at before deciding to join Nuna. Number two, it's okay to have competitors in the space. Your business idea doesn't necessarily have to be totally new but you have to understand your value proposition and what makes you stand out from them. With Rocket Academy, Kai took reference from both existing schools and boot camps and from his own personal working experience to build a unique curriculum. And number three, tapping into your network is super important as an entrepreneur. This is a similar message that was shared across a lot of the founders I interviewed in this podcast. And with Kai, Rocket Academy's first three clients were actually from him aggressively contacting everybody he knew to see if they might know someone who would be interested in learning how to code. Number four, beyond the product, don't ignore the importance of building the brand and community around your business. And lastly, number five, the best learning happens when you are doing. So put that book down and start executing. If you want to learn how to build a business, the best way to learn it is just by going ahead and actually building that business. And that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Control Alt Career. Check back in two weeks for my conversation with Sabrina Joseph, the founder of Hunt Street, which is a secondhand luxury fashion company in Indonesia and Singapore. So make sure you're subscribed to my channel so you don't miss it. 
And if you liked today's episode, I'd so appreciate it if you can leave me a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts and share this with a friend who maybe isn't so happy with their corporate job and need a little extra inspiration. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. I'll see you guys back here in two weeks. Thank you.